Hey, how are you guys? Good, good. We started a new series last week called Manifesto, and we're talking to men in this series for four, four weeks, and we want to talk through different issues that surround men. And I gave a lot of explanation of that up front of last week's message, so if you missed last week's message, go back and grab it on the podcast and listen to that, because I explained a little bit of the, the hows and the whys of why we're doing what we're doing. But we really want to talk to men because men are... Uh, wreaking havoc on culture uh, and historically have always done so. And there's a lot of challenges that men uh, create and have to deal with. And so we want to speak to men because we think as a church we need to speak into that stuff. And my goal here is not to pile on men and make them feel worse. My goal actually is to challenge and hopefully inspire men to step up and be better and maybe even give them some resources. We had some really good feedback from the message last week. I, it's always a weird thing as a, as a teacher that when you, when you step up and you go, man, I'm going to talk to men, you know you're only talking to half the room. Um, and so you're thinking like, well, what are the women? like? What, why? And you're thinking like, how do I speak to them also? And how do I kind of speak to all the different groups that are in the room, uh, young and old and all that kind of stuff? Um, so it was very encouraging feedback that I received last week. Uh, I received a lot of feedback, men and women, but I, it was amazing to me, all the women that came forward and said, hey, this was really good. In fact, when I walked out of here first service, I walked out and two single women pulled me aside and they're like, that sermon was really great and really helpful. Thank you for doing this. I can't wait to hear this whole series. And it's just not what I expected. I was like, this is really cool. So I do want to say, single ladies, I got your back. All right, I'm trying to do you a solid up here. Uh, so um, hopefully as men get better and, and become more who God calls us to be, that's going to be better for all of us and it's going to be a, a good thing. So in this series, we're looking at a guy named Samson. Samson was a guy who lived in Israel in the, about the year 1200 BC and he was born for a purpose. Last week we talked about men and, and our calling by God to protect and provide for those around us. Uh, Samson was born for a purpose to do that for Israel and to deliver Israel, the nation, from their neighbors, the Philistines, uh, who they were running into a lot of problems with. Um, Samson was, he had these three vows that he was supposed to take and, and to live by. And this is basically what they were, the three things for Samson. Number one, don't cut your hair. Number two, don't get drunk. Number three, don't touch dead things. Seems like an easy enough thing to follow. This is who he was supposed to be throughout his life. But Samson is going to break all of those vows um, and repeatedly. And, and you'll, see, you'll see here even today where he's going to, we'll touch on it a little bit, where he breaks those vows. And it seems to me that people have a problem keeping their vows from time to time. And I don't just mean in marriage. When you say vows, people think marriage. I, you know, all the things that your vows that you make at the wedding. Yes, people do break those for sure. But there are other vows that we make that are spoken or unspoken to our children at our places of employment, at school. And, and, and we have a problem keeping them sometimes. We don't follow through on the promises that we make, the commitments that we make, uh, and we break those things. And I don't think that's a man problem. I think that's a human problem. And, and why does Samson uh, blow it here? Why can't he keep the vows that he made? Well, we, I want to look at that because I think the reasons he doesn't keep his are some of the reasons we don't keep ours. There are really two major unchecked desires that Ham- Samson has. Uh, there's two things that, he, that are, that are going to, two problems that are going to trip him up throughout his life, and we'll look at them today. Uh, number one is this. Samson has an eye problem. And when I say he has an eye problem, I don't mean he has glaucoma. I mean... He has a wandering eye. 
is what we would call that. Um, He's written about in the book of Judges. I want to read it to you. Judges chapter 14. Listen to all the references to what he sees in his eye. Judges 14.1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Okay, listen. Timnah is, is, a, is an area around Israel there that is, that is Philistine territory. So for the guy who is called to help Israel um, not, not lose all of their culture and identity to the neighboring Philistines, uh, he probably shouldn't go intermarry them, which is what he's about to do. Like that's probably not the right step for him in, in his calling from God. But he, he purposely goes down to this area where the Philistines are and he sees one of the daughters of the Philistines. He's like, oh, check her out. Look at verse two as it continues on. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. It was a simple time. so much easier. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all your people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? They're seeing the cultural, find your people. Uh, one of your own kind, stick to your own kind. That was, that was a West Side story. All right. Um, but Samson said to his father, get her for me. Why? For she is right in my eyes. I think we know what's going on here with Samson. Um, all these references to his eyes. This is Old Testament speak for she's a hottie, right? And he's very interested in her. Oh, I saw her. She looked good. You need to go get her for me. And they go back to the parents and, and, and ask for that. And, and mom's like, can't you find a nice Jewish girl to marry? Like, do you have to do this? And he's like, uh, what, what's his answer? Uh, she looks good. Sorry. She just looks really good. And, and it's an eye problem. For, for, for sure, um, listen to verse 17 further on down. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he discovered that she had a really wonderful personality and was conversant on so many topics and that she was just really well thought out. No. He went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Upon further inspection, as he got closer, he was like, actually, it's even better than I thought. She's wonderful to look at. This isn't like layers of compatibility. This is not eHarmony. This is Tinder. Okay, he's swiping whatever the heck, right, or whatever. He's like, oh, she is right in my eyes. He gets close to her and, and sees that. This is an eye problem, and it's a, it's a lust problem that he, does, he sees her and desires her. And the lust goes farther than just I, I, I'm attracted to her and I want her. He objectifies her and makes her a thing to be acquired. And you see that in the way he talks to his parents. He says, Go get her for me like a teenager asking for a cell phone, right? Well, I, I, I have to have her. Go get her for me. And part of the problem with lust is that it leads down the road of objectification where we stop seeing women who are created in the image of God, who are image bearers of, of him, who ha- have this beauty designed by God. We stop seeing them as, as a, a person with a soul and we see them as an object to be taken and acquired and lusted after. And that's what Samson gets himself into. He says, get her. And so they get married. um, And a marriage built on physical appearance only, this is not going to go well. Uh, During during their wedding, he, he 
gives this riddle and some of the people want to solve the riddle and they ask her to go figure out the riddle and she asks him and he won't tell her the answer to the riddle and then she says to him, why do you keep secrets from me? Because here's why he keeps secrets from you. You don't have a real relationship. It's built on what he saw. You looked good and that's what it was built on. Don't be surprised then when this goes very badly and it does. Uh, It goes badly. In fact, the end of that passage says this, verse 20, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. Ouch. So the marriage did not last long, and she goes off with the best man. Um, It's it's a mess. Now, in the verses that I skipped in there, what what we missed was Samson kills an animal and touches the dead body. He throws a big kegger with his homies at the wedding, and he ends up killing 30 people. We'll get to that next week. It was a, it was a bit of a mess. It, went, um, it escalated quickly. Um, it, 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 but he breaks all of his vows in there pretty, pretty quickly, and it starts with an eye problem that he saw her, and he lusted after her, and then it went downhill from there. But it continues on two chapters later. We'll do chapter 15 next week, but look at Judges 16, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw, in his eyes, a prostitute, and he went into her. That means what you think it means in the Bible. That's what the Bible is saying. Uh, He saw her, and he's like, I got to get her as well. And now, where does it say he went? He went to Gaza. Gaza is Philistine territory. He's going back to the place where he had problems before, where he was lusting. He's continually going back there. Three verses later, after this, he loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek. Guess where that is? Near Timnah, Philistine territory, whose name was Delilah. Delilah is a word that means temptress. Now, if you've read the story of Samson before, you know Delilah is a pretty significant figure, and she's going to be his undoing. And he sees her, and he's like, I like her too, and ends up in a relationship with her. And she's going to be his undoing. She, she basically discovers the source of his strength, and these people come in and capture him. And ironically, a guy who had an eye problem ends his life with his eyes gouged out. That's where this is going to go. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of dark stuff in there recorded for us of, of what's happened, uh, especially if you read through the, the Old Testament. But I want us to notice something here. Samson goes to this area multiple times, and my experience with lust, and I don't know about the other men in the room, this has probably been your experience as well, it doesn't really sneak up on you. You, It's one of those things you go looking for. You walk down to that area. Rarely does someone sort of stumble into the red light district, which is what he does. He goes there looking for this. You're not like, oh, what is this? I didn't know. How did I end up here? Like, it's not like that, right? And if you want to put it in a more modern context, you know, rarely do you stumble into porn on, on, the, on the internet. It's always like, oh, there's lonely women nearby in my zip code that some of them are within three miles of me. I wonder if I click on this link, where might that go? Who knew there were so many lonely women around? Like, that, like the, you have to go looking for these things. These aren't things you, you accidentally stumble into. And Samson is, again, going back to the place where he, uh, he, he sinned. Um, he goes looking for it. Um, now, I'm a, I'm a guy, right? So I know what we say about this kind of stuff when we have conversations about lust, and I know how men, how we, we think about these things. And I've had the conversations about lust with men where we talk about, yeah, you know, it's springtime and tank tops and short shorts, and, you know, you can't control, and these girls walk by and yoga pants, and then we have it, there's that, it becomes a conversation, all of these things. 
These are the conversations that, that men have where we go like, hey, this stuff's difficult. And I know there are seasons. And I know that we live in a pretty sexually permissive open culture where we use sex to sell to men. Like we're aggressively as a culture marketing sex and sexuality uh, and, and the female body. We are marketing that to men. So I know that in one sense, this is where we live. And it's like, how do you, how do you control that? But here's the reality. Um, there's a difference between appreciating a beautiful woman that walks by and lusting after her. And the difference is not in her. It's in your eyes and then your heart and your mind. Um, and, th- and that you can, you can look and appreciate. You could walk, you know, you see a beautiful woman, you could say, well, praise Jesus for what God has made. Like, and then you just move on with your day. Like maybe you just walk through Carytown and just be like, hallelujah. And we'll all, you can just say that out loud. We'll all know what you're saying. That's fine. And then you just get on with your day. Uh, maybe, maybe you did a double take, whatever. You're like, oh, wow, she's great or whatever. But if you do like eight takes, uh, it's probably lust. It's, you've probably crossed the line there. And, we're not, and you're not um, appreciating what God has made. You're objectifying. You're getting, getting to that place in your head. And, and um, I, I, women, I hope this doesn't sound shocking to you because every man in the room knows what I'm talking about right now. So I hope this doesn't shock you. But this is the reality. We can, we can objectify someone in our minds, and our hearts, and it starts in the eye and what we allow our eyes to gaze at, to, to look at, to linger on. Um, and, and we need to keep that in check. That's where the battle is. That was Samson's downfall. He kept seeing these women and saying, oh, you know, I have to have her. And he never mastered the battle of his eyes. And in a poetic justice sort of way, eventually his eyes get gouged out. Now, Jesus teaches on this in the New Testament. Jesus teaches uh, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, and this would probably be, if you were to pull men of the world and say, what verse of the Bible would you like to cut out and not have it there? Uh, This would be it. For women, it would probably be a different verse. For men, it's probably this verse. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is like, look, y'all know not to commit adultery. Like, literally, don't go cheat on your wife. Y'all know how to do that. Everyone, and you can walk around being like, I don't commit adultery. I don't cheat on my wife. I am holding this high moral bar. And Jesus is like, that's not even a high moral bar. That should just be like basic standard for humanity. Don't cheat on the person you're married to. Okay, cool. That's, that's where we're at. He says, but look, if you really want to get at the heart of the thing, I'm not going to go just surface level. We got to go beyond just the eye, into the mind, into the heart. Don't look at a woman because that's what, don't look at a woman with lustful intent because that's where the problem starts. Not just in the adultery, but in, in the way, in the way you look. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fight in your eye not to objectify women. So men, how do we win that battle? Um, How can we, how can we fight that? Well, first thing is I think we have to think very closely about the places that we go to. Samson goes back to the same place where he lusts. Where are those places for you? Is it a restaurant or a bar or somewhere at work or is it the gym or some other place where the lust kind of flares up for you? Where are you most tempted to go? Is it on the internet? Um, that's, a, that's sort of an easy temptation uh, for, for men to, today. Um, I, ha- I don't have the internet on my, on my cell phone. I took the internet browser off my phone. Um, this doesn't mean like I have a dumb phone. Like if I'm texting you, I don't have to like be like 999988833, you know, or whatever. Like I, I've got a smartphone, but um, I took a web browser off of there and, and, and those kind of apps to use my phone 
primarily because I was using it too much and I didn't want to be like that person addicted to their phone all the time, um, but also because there's no temptation to do that with my phone when, when, when you take all of that and remove it. Um, and, and so uh, I would recommend that for men in the room, uh, having unfiltered internet, uh, and maybe for the, some of the women as well, um, this may apply to you also, but having unfiltered internet access on all of your devices is maybe not a great idea. Um, I, I recommend that for my kids, and if I'm going to recommend it for them, I'm going to recommend it for me too, that there, there are just some temptations out there, and there's an easy chemical dopamine hit that comes from being able to access those kind of things that maybe we need to just remove that temptation. Um, there's a, there's, a, there's a, a scripture in the Old Testament, Job chapter 31. The, the, the guy Job had all these bad things happen to him. And um, in the midst of his pain of losing his family, his, his, uh, his income, all sorts of stuff, he says this, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. He said, I'm making this covenant with my eyes. I'm not going to look lustfully. A covenant is different than a contract. A contract is I will do my part and then you do your part. If you stop doing your part, I'll stop doing my part. A covenant's not like that. It's I will do my part no matter what you do. So when we say marriage is a covenant, we're talking about you're in this, in this thing no matter what. You committed till death do us part. You are in. It is not a contract. You didn't hold up your end of the bargain. You're frustrating me. Therefore, I'm out. That's not what a covenant is. And so Job takes it to that level and says, I'm making a covenant with my eyes, not a contract with my eyes. It's I'm not going to lust in my eye. I'm not going to do that uh, no matter what comes before me, no matter what season of the year it is, no matter what she's wearing, no matter what, I'm making the commitment in me not to do this. There's a, there's a, there's a website that should be easy. It's called Covenant Eyes. Um, is it? There's, there's some of the, the site, uh, and it's designed to help people uh, fight uh, any sort of internet pornography addiction or t- basically what it does. You can use it to filter, but instead of filtering, mostly what it does is just report everything you look at on, online for how long you looked at it, whatever, and it reports it to a person that you designate. So some sort of accountability partner where you say, hey... Um, can you, can you uh, hold me accountable to this? And so I would encourage every man and maybe some of the women too that you need this as well to, to set that up, to get that for the year and then find one person and sit down with them. Men, find another brother in the church and say, hey man, will you hold me accountable to this? This is a challenge um, and, and this isn't who I wanna be. Um, I, I, I think we're, we can be better than this. Like, so, so can I set you up as an accountability partner on, on Covenant Eyes? Um, that's a great thing. Now, there's a lot of um, different reactions to this. Um, the different men kind of react to this conversation uh, differently. For a lot of people, they say, you know, porn is, man, porn's not a big deal. Lusting in the eyes, like, that's not that big of a deal. I'm just a red-blooded American male, and that's just, you know, that's just the way it is, and that's, that's okay. And, and, and I just want to challenge you. If you think porn's not a big deal, you're not really paying attention to what it's doing to you, and you're not paying attention to what it's doing to our culture. Um, there's a reason it's called a public health epidemic in many parts of the country right now, because we're just start now figuring out that it is, uh, it is heroin for the eyes. Um, it is uh, extremely addictive, and it is doing a lot of, of damage right now. And it primarily, I would say, the damage it does to us is that it distorts and degrades our view of women. 
And if you want to look at all of the issues related to every, every piece of Me Too on up to the most subtle forms of harassment and abuse and inappropriate comments, uh, you'll, you'll find pornography behind a lot of those things. There's a, a degradation going on of our view of women in this culture, and uh, it's, it's toxic. So if you think it's not a big deal, you're not really thinking of how it's hurting you and others. And, and secondly, uh, a lot of men will say, like, you know, I've got this under control. And if you do have it under control, that's awesome. And I hope it stays that way, and I thank God for you, and link up with other brothers, and let's, let's do this together. Um, but, I, but I also know that a lot of um, relationships that blow up, I end up talking to men who say, I thought I had this under control. Um, that's, that's a common line. It's a common thing you hear from people. I thought I had this control under control. I didn't think this was going to happen to me. I, did, I, I thought I had this locked down, um, and, and they didn't. So... Um, uh, make sure you, you really think about what's going on there. And it's more than just pornography, okay? Um, it's easy to say, oh, you know, whoever famously said, I don't know what porn is, but I know what it, I don't know how to define it, but I know what it is when I see it. Um, it's more than that. It's more than that. Uh, Netflix does not have to pass the censorship that you would have to pass to be on regular television. So a lot of shows are coming out on Netflix with a lot of bad stuff in them and a lot of objectifying women and, and, and a lot of sexual stuff. And we may need to, as men, draw lines where the culture does not draw lines. The culture will say, it's TVMA, and you go, well, I'm MA. I can TVMA all day long because I'm MA. I mean, what, what you know, I got it. Um, Look, I'm MA too, and, and, I, and I pretty quickly can figure out that there are shows I don't need to watch. Um, and where I draw those lines, where you draw those lines, I can't draw them for you, but I know where our culture draws them is real dumb and not helpful. The culture's like, ah, have whatever you want, you know? It's like the culture puts a, like a, a stack of candy bars in front of you and is like, have at it, you'll be fine. And it's like, maybe I need to make, maybe draw some lines here. So, so think about what you allow, allow to pass before your eyes. It's one thing if something inadvertently does, but what do you allow? Where do you walk like Samson? Where are you walking down to the place where that temptation is? Um, I, remember, I, I remember reading Game of Thrones, and I thought, oh, this is, this is a fantasy novel. It's kind of cool. It's like sort of a postmodern Lord of the Rings. Like, it's kind of cool. And then I was like, let me see the show, you know, and I watched like one episode, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. I just can't. I, I, I couldn't. I can't hang with that. Um, and maybe some of you can. And maybe you think it's not a problem, and maybe it isn't. But maybe you should at least think about it and go, does this make me view women in a better way when I watch it? Does this make me love my wife more? Or does this do something else in my mind and in my heart when I, when I watch it? Um, but men, find another man here and talk about it. Because unchecked desires will be our downfall. You think I'm being dramatic. I'm not. I, I've seen lives ruined on this stuff. I've seen lives ruined when we don't handle our eye problem. Um, so find an, an, another, another man and be held accountable. And then um, eyes was not the only problem Samson had. He had one other problem. Samson has a pride problem. Samson has a pride problem, and you can probably see it in, in, the, in what I read to you earlier. He, he went to his parents, and he said, go get this woman for me, and they said, no, no, find someone like in your own family. He's like, nah, I, I like her. Um, look, Samson was born for a purpose. He was set apart at an early age that like God has a plan for you. And he has good parents who love him and are directing him. So he has every, every opportunity to be, he's, he's well shepherded, well taken care of, every opportunity to be the man that God is calling him to be. 
And yet, somewhere in that, he becomes very entitled. Well, I want this, so I'm just going to have it. And I don't care. And I don't care that I'm not supposed to marry Philistines or, or whatever. Like, I get what I want. And there's just this sense of entitlement and pride that creeps into all of us if we leave it unchecked. I was, I was a big fan of Tiger Woods, um, watching him play golf. I used to play golf a lot. And um, Tiger Woods lived in that space of very rare super athlete, you know, like the, the space that Michael Jordan lives in and LeBron James and Lionel Messi and people like that. Tiger Woods was in that rare superstar space where he's known all over the globe. And there was a period there in the early 2000s where he dominated the sport like no one had, had ever, had really ever done. Um, and it was, it, was, it was really cool to see. And it all came unglued in November of 2009. I don't know if you remember this. Um, but he and his wife had sort of a public blow up and it ended up in the papers. And uh, there's a lot of people writing stuff. And Tiger Woods came out and he explained, he did a press conference to explain how his marriage had blown up and that he had been unfaithful to his wife. And I thought that was very unusual because, like, you know, why does he owe me that? I'm just the general public. But he felt like he needed to come out and sort of say, this is what I did. And uh, I remember being really struck by the, what he said. And I actually went back and dug it up. I want to read you what he said when he admitted that he had cheated on his wife. He said, I knew my actions were wrong, but I convinced myself that normal rules didn't apply. I never thought about who I was hurting. Instead, I thought only about myself. I ran straight through the boundaries that a married couple should live by. I thought I could get away with whatever I wanted to. I felt that I had worked hard my entire life and deserved to enjoy all the temptations around me. I felt I was entitled. Thanks to money and fame, I didn't have far, didn't have to go far to find them. I was wrong. I was foolish. I, I don't get to play by different rules. The same boundaries that apply to everyone else apply to me. This is entitlement, he calls it. This is pride. This is, I don't have to play by the rules. And I have seen many men shipwreck on pride and entitlement who are far less famous than Tiger Woods. I've seen many people say, my wife's not having sex with me enough, therefore I get to go watch this and do this. I, 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 my, uh, my, I've seen men say, um, she's nagging me to death, therefore I get to let off a little steam with this over here. Um, work is really stressful right now, therefore after work I get one, three, or 15 beers. Um, I'm, I'm alone and away from my family on business, therefore the strip club is a good solution. Um, we get entitled. We think, I deserve this because you see what I have to put up with and this is really difficult. And it becomes this, this cycle where she's annoying to me, therefore I get to go do what I want to do. And really what that ends up being is I need her to be an annoying for me so I can continue doing what I want to do. Like I don't need to her to get less nagging That'll, that'll mess up my whole game here. I, I've, we got a good thing going. She nags me and then I go do what I feel like doing. And that, that's, that's going to be your downfall. Um, it, it was Samson's, the, the pride there. Um, there are just no end to the number of reasons that we can develop as men and I would say as people, just as humans. There's no end to the number of reasons we can develop to justify doing all the things that we probably shouldn't be doing but we want to do. Proverbs chapter 29, Solomon, who knew a lot about this stuff, he said, one's pride will bring him low, but he, but who, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Our pride is going to eventually bring us low. Um, we'll be humiliated um, if we continue to, to live as proud, entitled people. The scripture says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. 
That's what God, that's one of the things God tells us to do. Hey, you humble yourself. Don't wait for God to humble you because that will probably feel more like humiliation. The chapel of the nativity in Bethlehem, there's a church they built there around where they think Mary delivered Jesus. And um, at that chapel, there's a, there's a small door that you have to duck down to get into it. Um, and there's actually next to it, there's a very large door that they've blocked up that you can't go through. And they blocked it up a long time ago. Back in the Middle Ages, knights would ride on their horses and they would go there to the chapel of the nativity in order to receive a blessing from the priest. And so they'd ride in, and because the door was large enough, they'd ride in on their horse to receive their blessing, and then they'd ride back out. And the priests didn't like that, and they're like, this isn't good. And so they actually blocked up that door, and they put a small door there so that knights would have to get off their horse if they're going to go in there and receive God's blessing. I think there's something in there for us. Maybe a lot of us need to get off our horse of pride, of, of the entitlement, if we're going to actually receive the blessing from God. We need to get off our horse and humble ourselves rather than have God knock us off that horse. So how do we do that? Let me give you two ideas and then we're done. Um, How do we fight lust, pride, these things? Um, Number one is this. Every day read the scripture to remind you of who you are. This is not the first nor will it ever be the last time I tell, hey, maybe read the Bible. Like, um, I'm, I'm like, I'm like a, a guy with like one tool, right? And I just keep hitting and everything looks like a nail. I'm like, you should read the Bible. But I, I, I got I to gotta tell you, like if we're talking about things that are helpful, uh, the scripture isn't just like, it's not like reading another book, like, oh, that was some good collective wisdom or those some interesting things. They're just a chapter at a time, half a chapter, a couple verses. Read it daily to remind you of who you are. Yes, you are a child loved by God. You will find some really like, compelling, beautiful things in there if you just read through the New Testament. But it'll also push you and challenge you. I've been reading Paul's letters the last couple weeks, trying to read just a little bit at a time. And listen to just a couple things Paul says in Philippians. Philippians 1, grace to you um, and peace from God our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Like, uh, Paul is in jail and he's, and he's thanking God for, for, for these people. Uh, he's, he's saying, hey, like, God is good. And, and it's weird because I've never done a stretch in jail. Isn't that a good thing to know about your preacher? Uh, but if I had, can I, can, I, can I be like Paul? Can I have joy there? Because you throw Paul in jail and he's like, sweet, I'm going to tell the guards about Jesus. And I'd be like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Why am I here, right? Um, and and Paul, uh, Paul's doing something different with that. I mean, he just views it differently. Uh, look at further down the chapter, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul's like, look, let your manner, the way you live, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is your life, men, is your life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Is that even on your radar? Like, this is what I'm living for? I'm living for the one who died for me, and I'm going to follow him. Jesus gave up his life for me, and I'm going to follow him wherever he takes me. I follow, I read, I obey. Um, are, Are you doing that? Because when I read that, it challenges me. And I'm like, oh, man, here's where I'm not doing that. Here's ways I'm blowing it. You can't read this stuff day after day, and let it get into your heart and not have it change you. 
and not have it chip away at your pride and your entitlement. Look at the very next chapter. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I've just read you parts of one and a half chapters of the New Testament. And, and just in these few verses, you, you see like, Paul's like, hey, notice conceit when it comes up. Notice the rivalry. Um, in humility, think of other people as more significant. Just a good reminder of how we should treat the brothers and sisters that are, are around us. He talks about selfish ambition. Do you, can you read that? Men, can you read the word selfish ambition and think, I have no idea what he's talking about. That doesn't relate to me at all. No, it's, it's there. It's, it's real. So read it. Write it down. Follow it. Obey it. And let it change you. Second thing I would say to chip away at pride and lust, and this is, we'll kind of end with this. Um, intentionally do the things that you think are beneath you. Intentionally do things that you think are beneath you. Um, at work, you know, the, the coffee needs to be refilled. The trash needs to be taken out. Somebody needs to clean the thing. Just step up and do those things. Because once you start saying, that's beneath me, that's a good indication you're starting to get a little too big for your britches. Right? You're like, oh, yeah, someone else needs to do that. I, I'm, I'm above that. Um, I do chores at our house. I do some things. I cook meals. I cook our meals, and I go get the groceries, and I'll fold some laundry it's, and wash some laundry, do some different things. Um, and uh, when I think about things that are beneath me at our house, like what are the things that are beneath me, uh, the, thing I, the thing I always come to is cleaning the toilets. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Uh, like, that's not, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. Um, and I start feeling a little bit like, um, you know, Lord Grantham from Downton Abbey. And I'm like, don't we have staff around here for this? Uh, can I find, uh, is there a valet or like a footman who would come in here and clean this toilet? Because I really don't want to do it. Um, and then I remember that I have children, able-bodied, strong young lads. And I'm like, God has blessed me with kids. It's such a blessing. If I could just get one of these little blessings to come clean this toilet, then I don't have to do it, you know? It'd be awesome. Um, but when I think it's beneath me, what I'm really saying is it's beneath me. It's just not beneath the people that are around me. They should totally do this. I shouldn't have to. Um, and that's a pride problem. That, that's, that's something in my own gut that I need to work on. Um, I'm not owed anything. I, I'm not entitled to these things. Um, and so I, we, need, we need to think about it. If you think something is beneath you, that means you're probably not stooping low enough. Because Jesus calls us to stoop pretty low and to serve one another. So finally this, um, men. Let me, let me talk to single men here for a minute. Um, in, in all of these areas, uh, you're going to have to draw some lines that the culture does not draw. Our culture draws really stupid lines around dating. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's weird out there. Um, and I'm not even in the thing, but when I talk to other guys who, who are, and when I read articles or whatever, I see how, how the scene is playing out. It's weird out there. We probably need to, as someone was thinking about, we need to do a whole, like, singles forum, uh, like in January, like after the holidays, where we get together and talk about how do we live faithfully to God and, and honor the women in our lives, honor the men, honor the women. How do, we, how do we do this thing? If the game is broken, let's change the rules or something or let's play it differently um, because it's, it's a mess out there. And yes, I read the Aziz Ansari story and it was a hot mess and I just thought um, 
this is what you get when a culture is so unclear about everything except we kind of say consent and then we're, we're confused when people blow through those boundaries and it just becomes a mess out there. And I'm sorry you have to live in it uh, because it's, it's not good. Um, can we draw different lines than what the culture draws? Because the culture is going to draw some really dumb ones. Can we draw different lines for our eyes, for our hearts, how we speak to honor the women in our lives? Um, how do we treat women as, as sisters and not as objects? Um, that would be a, a good place for us to start. And then and husbands and, and, and fathers and all that, um, we need to pay attention to Samson. He's not a hero. <laughs> He's very much the anti-hero here. But um, I, I don't want to see us shipwreck. You know, Samson basically is a shipwreck of the, of the Old Testament. He's there crashed upon the rocks, and we as sailors sail by and go, well, I guess we shouldn't go over there because there's rocks there. Um, that's kind of why his story is recorded for us. Uh, brother had an eye problem, um, and he had a pride problem. And, and these are the things that snare men and women, um, but these are the things that, that really snare, snare men um, and, and get us to crash on the rocks. And I think all of us have way too much on the line, too many people counting on us, too much stuff matters in how we live for us to, to wreck on those rocks. Um, find another brother and walk through this uh, with them. Don't let your pride kick up in you where you go, I'm not going to talk. The, the same pride that doesn't stop and ask for directions is the same pride that doesn't say, hey, would you, can we talk about lust? It's the same, it's the same thing, and, and, but the stakes are high here. Um, don't, 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 let's, let's not become Samson. We have a higher calling, and we can be better men than that. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the example of Samson and that we're able to have it recorded and we can look at uh, areas where we're going to shipwreck if we're not careful. God, uh, um, for the unchecked desires that are in our lives, I pray we speak up about them. We get together with other brothers and get real about who we are, um, what we're struggling with, where we're at, um, so that we can be better and whole and heal. Um, God, for marriages in the room that are and, and boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, is, uh, couples in the room that are dealing with um, some of these issues. Uh, I, I pray for healing, restoration, that um, things can be better and that there's a better future for us as we try to all live faithfully and follow after you. Um, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.